Blog Talk Radio. that time again everyone it's Sunday and yes we're here for you believe it or not Arizona has rain today amazing I know rain is like just such a little thing here I mean you blinking is done So, I sure hope that uh, other people are ready because it's time for the next space show with Alan Joe. And uh, and we are off and running. So, we're talking, what are we talking about today? We're talking about, obviously, we're talking about space program, new news from space. Talk about all the news in the public. And the private country, you know, companies that we talk about, we're talking about settling space. Yeah, I know, we're crazy people. That's why we talk about space. Are you gonna like save that so I can like use it? That's it. Yeah. Okay. So you know how he is. He just keeps going like an Energizer Bunny. So hang on here. Now just to remind you guys. That's we the show is handled. We um, put up your links to the items that he's talking about, okay? And you guys can always put your information in the chat if you have a question. Um, the chat down below this show information is exactly where you're going to find all this. Uh, all this information that we're talking about, and again, we're adding the links. And again, this is KWOD Radio, and this is Patty Holstrand, and uh, thanks for being here. We've got a guest call-in number, and yes, you do not have to be silent. We would like you to actually participate. I know it's a concept. So the phone number is 714-242-5145, 714-242-5145. Obviously, you will want to use your cell phone, so that way you don't get hit with any charges. If you have a landline, this is not a toll-free call. So, uh, we are ready to go. Let me put up our first thing, and then I'll introduce you to my partner in crime. I'm supposed to stop messing with it. I'm not messing with it. <laughs> he's messing with it. Yeah, I know. He says he's not messing with it. So let's put this up and let's start. Let's get it rolling. So, now. Good evening, uh, everybody. How's your, Welcome. your week, man? Well, my week's been pretty good. So, so, you know. I tell you, things get busy when you start doing stuff and. And, and then and, you do more stuff. And, and then you do more stuff, and you end up with so much stuff, you don't know what to do with it. And then you start making a garbage pile for garbage stuff and a, and, and a and good pile and for keeper stuff. For, and for, for, for stuff. Oh, yeah. And then you got to have, oh, you got to have a house for the stuff. 
And this year I was trying to trim down the stuff that I had. Yeah, see what happens. You know, so anyway. <laughs> <laughs> um, just a little background, folks. Just keep in mind, um, we, we watch the web. We watch Facebook for news items. Most of our focus is on the next space where we are going to be. So what that means is, is we talk about stuff that has uh, at least some bearing on manned space. Manned space, not manned, alien space. Not alien space. Yeah, not, 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 not not satellite space. Not comet space. <laughs> not research space, yeah. but living space yeah, for people or animals or insects or mises well, and whatever we Sylvester's yeah. and stuff like that. And Mises, yeah. absolutely. And so we watch these articles and we do filter them because, you know, if I tried to put up notes for every every darn photograph that came out that was really cool or every or new piece stupid. of satellite yeah. or every new satellite launch or every new little thing that's out there relative to satellites or research yeah, or what we're doing is making them geology. aware aware of what's out there. One of the things that we ran into just a couple of years ago when I actually jumped in feet first uh, to learn more about what was actually going on in the in the space arena was that we discovered with the, uh, an anecdotal kind of survey of, of just friends and acquaintances we discovered that people didn't know a whole lot. Yeah. You know, and, and I, as I, I dug deeper... Those. Okay, I admit it. <laughs> yeah, but you I, know, you, you, are, you are touched by my spaciness these yeah, days. Yeah, yeah, now. You know. I uh, have a choice. I know. Some of it gets it old hat for you, I'm me. sure. Uh, and I imagine I it gets old hat every once in a while for you. <laughs> Yeah, sometimes it's like, oh my God, if I hear this one more time, I'm going to have to scratch everybody's eyes out. But, you know, it's okay. But the thing, the thing that struck both of us was that even though there's this general film upon the ether that converses about the goings-on of space science and space research and Space film, development. Film, film upon the ether. Uh, film upon the ether. It's just, it's just I, like that oil visual, scum. Visual thing. It's like that oil scum upon the pool. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's kind of wispy on the edge and of the you, water. And you think, well, it can't possibly be underneath, and then, oh my God, it is. Yeah, so. and then you get underneath that film, and you feel the wonderful rush mm -hmm. of the water and the warmth and the, and the mm -hmm. currents. And, and underneath this thin <laughs> film upon the ether of the, the dim little bit of... Uh, space news that we do get, um, we, we face multiple challenges. One is is that space advocacy today is fragmented. Yeah. Uh, you've got the Mars geeks. You've got the Moon geeks. You've got the guys wanting to do uh, floating settlements in orbit or between the Earth and the Moon or between the Earth you and got Mars. You've got, you got people who are advocating straight to Mars. You've got people who are saying, let's make a round trip to Mars and come home and and you got people wanting to go to the moon. You got people wanting to go to a lot of destinations. But because of I that fragmentation, why Saturn? Because of the ringy thingy. I like rings. There's not not on my finger. You know, there's more ring. than three ringy dingies up there. I, yeah. <laughs> I shake. 
I happen to find this interesting planet. You you do remember that reference, right? Yes, I get it. Oh, okay. I get it. Lily uh, Tomlin's I'm there. Yeah, I'm from Laughing. From from people who are like like ancients. Yeah, yes, yes. <laughs> Space geeks. A lot of us are ancient. So if we can go to Saturn, I'm I'm all for it. Yeah. Uh, there, one of the moons of Saturn is it Titan? No, that's not Titan. That's Jupiter. That, that's Jupiter. No, that's no. that's Saturn. That's Saturn. Titan is a moon of Saturn. That's right. It's on the list of, of settlement locations. That's right. I wouldn't mind that. You know why? Because I can see the rings better there. Oh, yeah? You definitely see the rings better. <laughs> oh, now you're, you're on, you're on Saturn. You don't see them. Yeah. You know, so that would kind of be well, a actually, Well, the, the only problem with Saturn is, is is we don't know if there's a hard surface underneath for sure yet. And even if you were on that hard surface of trying to look up and could survive huge pressures, all you'd see is local weather. You couldn't see, you're right, you couldn't see the, the, the rings from the surface <laughs> of Saturn. I mean, well, the, 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 the air is just so much in turmoil. Well, see, that's another good reason to be on Titan. Well, yeah. yeah. And you get all that gorgeous, gorgeous, I mean, no, gorgeous That ether thing going on. Now, speaking of ether, <laughs> you know, space is replete, and science fiction has been replete for decades, mm -hmm. almost do you realize that we it is now 20, gosh, it's 2014, and I ran, I was watching TV this last weekend and ran across a movie called Metropolis. Now, most sci-fi geeks will know what this film was about, but what I'm struck today about is the fact that this film was made in the 19... 19... Last weekend. No, it wasn't made last weekend. It was rebroadcast last weekend. I know, as I said. I mean, come on. I said, you were going off. You, were, you said it was last week, but that show was last weekend. Was done in 1927. Yeah. And, and one of the very first few films. Um, I, You know, honestly, I don't think I've ever seen it all. Probably not. Yeah. Um... No, you were stuck on it. Right. Yeah. But also... You know what you're watching over there. Right. But, but um, oh, there was another film, a silent film done. Oh, Man when Man. was it? I, I want to say it was Man in the Moon, way back when. Yeah. Uh, that was when we first had uh, aspirations of actually being on the moon. Well, yeah, yeah and of course... Thought, people thought there was, it, it was uh, already inhabited by some fictitious man. Right. But that's back when they thought it was made of cheese, too, so Steve's, how much they knew. <laughs> <laughs> Although, uh, I know certain characters that still think that it's made of cheese. Well, yeah, yeah, and then there's people who claim we never landed on the moon. Oh, but, yeah, I know those. But anyway, we're we're getting hey, sidetracked here. Hey, those people who who think that really need to call us. <laughs> Wouldn't that be fun? I, I you know, and, and this is this is important. Now, you know, I, I had a thought this week because I I thought um, I had a conversation with somebody, and they asked why we don't cover any of the stuff about Apollo or the remembrances and so forth. And I says because we're trying to look forward. Well, I mean, we did uh, say last last what, two we weeks ago. We recognized the Apollo was, anniversary. Yeah. 
course, it wasn't last week. It was two weeks ago. Right, it was two weeks ago. Yeah, we had some conflicts and had to, well, we had had to cancel last family week. Family Yeah, but anyway, we're getting we're getting sidetracked. The, the thing I was trying to say is, is we are almost upon <laughs> the hundred year anniversary of. Um, movie, so, science and fiction and, and, and space oh and, and space travel because the there was anniversary of science fiction not that news well but see we have to be careful because science fiction has been around since the Greeks really oh yeah because of the telescope or well, no, no 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 because we are as we are a species that always looks beyond what we can do well sure there were people I mean, there were people that imagined Living on the planets yeah. and the moons that are out there. I mean, if you really think about it, Leonardo had to have been thinking something weird. Well, yeah. You know, I mean, he, he was always thinking idea, something weird. The I mean, this idea is the guy of the created, helicopter. This, this is well, not only that, but this this is the guy that came up with a wheeled bow and arrow bigger than one person can shoot. Yeah, but he, it was it was Huge. automated. So, but anyway, I again the point I, mean, I was, I was just, thinking that that's that's an interesting thing that's coming up, and we ought to you know somebody ought to do some research and find out just you know put a date on it. When can we say that science well, fiction as a media source yeah. came into its own? We know that there's a golden age in the the forties, thirties, forties, and fifties of of science fiction and we American have a print. Yes, we do. Why don't you tell us about the newspaper? Well. The Wad newspaper. We have actual physical, living, breathing piece of paper. I mean, you know, multiple pieces of paper. Well, it's just 24 pages so, usually. Yeah, I know, 24 pages. Just, it's not a small thing. So, uh, you know, if you guys have an idea of an article, especially something like that, definitely, definitely, uh, you know, shoot me an email at editor at the net. That's editor at the net. And there is a science section. Yes. So if you because, want to write you know, I believe that science fiction is half science. <laughs> it's going to do words. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. This is this is going to be an interesting night tonight. I can see that coming. All right. Let's start out with some pie in the sky. Looking at me like, yeah. <laughs> Let's start out with some pie in the sky that's actually been around a while. Oh, yeah, wired. Uh, NASA is talking <laughs> wait, about... Wait, 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 we didn't talk about wired yet. Is we that where about? we are? Ch- no. <laughs> okay. There it is. There it is. Okay. Um, Keep it in first, on our, first on our blotter tonight, we're going to be talking about some things from NASA. Um, and, and the very first thing that I wanted to lead off the evening with was is that NASA has validated an impossible space drive. It's basically a, a fuel-less, massless, I think. Uh, I mean, there's a bunch of different massless. less words. Oh. Well, um, How can you be any less than <laughs> It's called the EM drive. And a British scientist named Roger Shawyer has been trying to get people interested in this thing for, for a bunch of years. Um, and claims it converts electric power into thrust. Well, okay, that kind of makes sense. You're, you're turning one energy source into uh, another energy source. I mean, it, it kind of sort of makes sense, I guess. Weird. Um, he's built some demonstration systems, but up until recently... Like friction. Well, 
I don't know. They up until recently they were lumping his stuff in with a lot of those like anti gravity systems, you know, the stuff that you couldn't really prove. Well, recently um, he got some peer reviews, and they actually built these systems, some some test systems. But here's the kicker: NASA, along with um, last year, a Chinese team built its own EM drive and confirmed that it produced 720, um, give or take, about seven, 72 grams of thrust, enough for a practical satellite thruster. Wow. Which is interesting. What do you know? And here's the thing. This last year, was it? Is that what it was? Um, NASA actually did an experiment and confirmed the breakthrough. So this is cool. This is neat news. The article goes into a lot more detail. Mm -hmm. I've seen several other articles on the web. Um, uh, try Google search for impossible, uh, what is it, what do they do here? Um, impossible space drive. You're probably going to find several articles out there. I found a couple. This is the one that I thought uh, was one of the most interesting. Uh, it covers most of the details. But check it out. It's an interesting thing. It does offer... Um, a lot of potential. I mean, the ion drive's been around for a while. Um, yeah. You've got um, the company working with NASA to, um, oh, man, uh, brain fart. Um, <laughs> hey, he's only been working since <laughs> 4 o'clock in the morning, guys, so. So. Yeah. So, but anyway, check check that out. That's some exciting news. NASA is actually giving its stamp of recognition upon something that has been yeah. basically on the fringe for quite a while now. Um, on the other side of the NASA blotter, NASA does not have enough money, according to the Government Accountability Office. Did you even know there was anything to do with accountability in government at all? Did you even know that existed? That seems to be an oxymoron to me. I know. I, I, I've i always believed I, What that. do they do? Um, what they, in this instance, what they did is they issued a report just this past Wednesday saying that NASA SLS is at high risk of missing its planned December 2017 initial test flight. Now... Um, their point is is that NASA can't meet the date with the money they have or the money they've been funded to receive over the next year or two. And, I mean, we're talking $12 billion. $12 billion and this uh, GAO, you've heard of it before, is GAO, Government Accountability Office. They basically kind of, uh, they check the numbers. They're sort of a government fact-checker, which is another oxymoron. Okay? Government fact-checker. That's just scary. Yeah. Um, but, uh, and, and again, we've, we've seen the signs. Um, the GAO is saying that uh, NASA is short $400 million dollars. But, you know, every time I've seen an article or read anything that says a government agency is short a certain dollar amount, uh, by the time we get to the end of the project, we find that 
the shortfall wasn't the amount that was stated, but it was like 10 times that. So it, it's really intriguing and, and, and not really much as of a surprise that NASA doesn't have enough money. And I think a lot of people already know that. So this really, while it's not necessarily I think news... I probably going to really shake up something. No, it's not really going to shake up anything. But what it is doing is this is a government department saying, NASA, you don't have the money to finish a project. We've already had congressmen. We've had uh, companies. We've had suppliers and vendors uh, constantly saying for some time now that the project is in danger. Yeah. It, it no longer has a primary mission. Uh, it's floundering in that regard. And so it's, it's another symptom of the larger issue that NASA faces in not having a clear mission. Um, but they do have some good ideas out there, one, one of which that they're actually working on is um, called the Remote Robotic Oxidizer Transfer Test, RROXIT. Boy, that's a <laughs> phrase for you. <laughs> Rocks it. Robot was demonstrated um, to show a way for future servicing satellites to transfer fuel to another satellite. So we could literally send a little fuel truck up into orbit and have it service the thing. Now, the way it's designed so far, it's not big enough. Yeah, right now it's, it's not big enough to service any kind of a ship, but it could go up and provide propellant for a lot of the thruster uses and station keeping that a lot of satellites use. Orbital adjustment, fuel, that type of a thing in order to lengthen the life, lifetime of the satellites in question. And so it's a great idea, um, but uh, we don't seem to have any indication of when it might be ready or when they might be testing it. So while they are working on it, um, when it'll come, when when we'll have it available, we don't know. Well, you know, it makes me wonder, based on your other uh, article, why can't they simply move around their allocation of their funds from one thing to another? I mean, do they really need the gas station in space yet? Not yet. Well, we've needed it for a long time. Um, the thing of it is... Um, if you're going to put a gas station up there, you've got some specific problems. Because in space, satellites can't go to the gas station to gas up. The gas station has to come to them. It's a lot like, well... Oh, honey, i got to go and get the gas. Yeah. Um, it's a lot like if you ever go to an airport, the fuel comes to the plane. Right. The plane don't go to the gas station. The fuel comes to the plane. And sometimes it's a truck. Sometimes it's actually in a, um, a pump valve right in the tarmac right there by the gate. So um, the idea is, is to get something up in orbit that can transit the different heights, that can transfer the different positions in orbit. And there's a lot of logistical stuff that that thing's got to be able to do, not to mention having its own fuel. Of course. Yeah, obviously. You know, and then it's got to be refueled. So that brings up a whole new ballywick of issues, and I can understand that. Um, so lots of stuff, lots of stuff um, to think about. Where are we at here? One, two... We're at international. Okay. On international news, Europe has been quietly plugging away 
on a space plane of their own. Now remember the American shuttle system was uh, shut down, retired just uh, about a year and a half ago, I want to say, maybe two. Um, and all, all six shuttles were permanently grounded and all have found new homes. Unlike, sadly, the Russian or the Soviet Buran shuttle, which just recently was in the news uh, a few months ago, where a private citizen in Russia had built a mock-up of the Soviet shuttle. And it had become a popular thing in, in conversation, and eventually he ran out of money, but, but some contributions were given, and it ended up moved to a museum. It's now still falling apart. They don't have the money to, to keep it up. And uh, there are pieces now missing, and it's getting dilapidated. But that's pretty much all that's left of their Buran program. Um, yeah, I'll be ours someday. <laughs> but um, this space plane is actually, as I understand it, strictly cargo. It's called the Intermediate Experimental Vehicle. It's intended to go up on a Vega rocket in early November, and they call for it to make an eastward flight, different than its usual polar orbit track, and then release the IXV into suborbital path that would end to the Pacific Ocean. And basically, this is a test run to see how the thing goes up and how it comes down so they can validate and verify the ability of this thing to do its job. Um, it would be a reusable cargo vehicle, and like the American shuttle and the Buran, uh, although scaled way down, would be able to come down and, and re-enter the atmosphere and land like a plane. Uh, also, again, it's another cool idea, but we face the challenges of working out all the details just like we did on the shuttle, and those details really bit us in the backside when it came to the shuttle supposedly supposed to be a reusable system, and we found out that when you've got to refurbish the whole dang ship, it's not going to happen. Yeah. So it's not real re reusable. On a sad note tonight, we have to, uh, um, we sadly acknowledge the Isle of Man company called Excalibur Almaz, and I've touted them before. Excalibur, Al Excalibur Almaz purchased a couple of space station modules, as well as a handful of uh, manned capsules. Now, their goal was twofold. One, they wanted to build a tourist trip into suborbit with the manned capsules. In addition, they wanted to also use the manned capsules to get um, people onto their two-module traveling space station. They wanted to then, they, at one point, they also talked about taking that space station and turning it into a lunar cycler. And do you remember what a lunar cycler is? Yeah. It is a ship that, it is a station. Now, the ISS currently orbits only around the Earth. And every once in a while, they have to boost its orbit a little bit. Um, a lunar cycler is one that goes out towards the moon, gets around the moon, then comes back for an orbit around the Earth. And everyone wants unless they call it a cycler because it goes around both things. Now, the benefit is is that you can actually send, just like we do to the ISS, cargo, material, and people up to the cycler and have it transported out to the moon and then drop it off when you get there. There are some 
some price tags that go with us and some costs, but they are somewhat less than if you tried to do a direct type of deal. Of course. For example, you could send a capsule up with people in it up to a cycler and already have the food and supplies that they would need for the, for the three to seven day trip. And then they drop off on the moon and their ship can be much smaller. It just has to get to the cycler and be able to leave the cycler. And, and that's interesting. It's, it's, very, it's modeled to a certain degree after uh, Buzz Aldrin's Mars Cycler program. So the idea of having it's kind of like a ferry that goes between the Earth and the Moon. Well, Excalibur Almaz wanted to do that, plus they wanted to have a suborbital tourist thing. Well, they have had to put most of it in storage. They're just not finding um, the support, much less the cost reductions to be able to get people into suborbit at a reasonable price. So they've had to, while not entirely completely shelve it, they've put it into limbo at the moment, uh, holding off and um, trying to play a waiting game, basically. Yeah. So they've basically, they've, they've hit the point where um, the money just isn't there for what they want to do. So very challenging out there in the different things that, that we face to make progress in manned space travel. Yep. Um, moving on to the private space or new space stuff, uh, SpaceX um, What do we got here? Where to go? We've got several articles here for you to take a, a peruse at. Um, oh, I, 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 I got to start. Yeah, with I this did. One. I apologize for this really, really, really long link. Yeah. Wait a minute. You, yeah. No. No, that's not the whole thing. Yeah, I know. The, no, that's a different one. You're talking this one. The uh, probably the link for the SpaceX. Roadmap, uh -huh. building, what, what, what? You gave me two of them. You did too. There's the roadmap. Okay. There were two links there. There was, yeah, I yeah. think there was a, a second link. You kind but, of, uh, yeah, put them together. Yeah. See? Okay. Ah, yeah, one was from nasaspaceflight.com. And uh, the other one was a Twitter feed. Interesting. Okay. Didn't realize I'd done did that. But anyway, what NASASpaceFlight.com did is they took a look at SpaceX's uh, progress to date on what they've been doing. And they talk about the various different customers they've got. And it's interesting to read this to get a feel for just where is SpaceX, where are they coming from, and also where they're going. You know, an interesting thing here that I, I noticed is, is I remember the photo that was put up that showed uh, five or six uh, first stage Falcon cores on the warehouse floor. Uh, what I didn't know is that recently uh, they're either launching or preparing to launch the last core from that picture. So and, and they've gone through quite a few launches. Um, to put this in perspective, there have been 
three attempts at a soft landing by SpaceX. Three That's times. Now, remember, we had the Grasshopper program that ran for a while. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think they had four or five, five launches. Um, the uh, Falcon 9 reusable program uh, is still, I think, at last uh, check, was going in, uh, going through some additional testing. Um, but, and Falcon Heavy is set to debut uh, from 39A next year, I want to say. I'm pretty sure it's next year. And the Dragon uh, version 2, um, the year after that. So, the interesting thing here is that, Fal that uh, Falcon and the Dragon, both the cargo version and the manned version, are, while their dates have slipped a little, they are still making stupendous progress. Um, the first time out for their reusable recovery, um, it didn't work. They ran into some problems. Second time out, they got a soft landing but lost the ship. Third time out, just this past week, they got their soft landing. The video was pretty good. They could see each stage of the landing process. And when it got down, they could see it actually tip over into the water, and then they lost the feed. So SpaceX is making huge progress. And here's the dig. None of the other providers, whether it be Ariane, ESA, the Russians, nobody else, even with this progress SpaceX is making, is looking at the potential for reusability at this point. Or at least we haven't seen any indication. You would think that they, they would are. get the you know wise up here. Well, yeah. Um, I, I truly believe that we've got some serious, serious challenges coming up for these these traditional providers with the expendable rocket systems. Uh, and so it, it's going to be exciting the next couple of years as SpaceX follows this roadmap building on their rocket business. And, of course, one thing to point out uh, for a lot of people that may or may not know this, and that is, is that SpaceX does not get all its money from the government contract. That contract and the money associated with it is definitively relative to their 12 launch contract. The other launches that they're doing, like the Orb, uh, Orbcon uh, satellite launch uh, just this past week or two, that was a private launch for a private company. And they've got a boatload of these coming up. And when the Falcon Heavy comes into play, um, their launch manifest maybe, is going to be NASA even grow. Maybe should be asking them for money. <laughs> you know, it would not surprise me that in a few years that, that might not be the case. In fact, Gwen Shotwell, their uh, president, was interviewed this uh, last week, I think it was, and talked about how SpaceX expects to dominate not just space in orbit, but space in the solar system. They hope to dominate yeah. the launch business. And the rates are going right now, there's no doubt. Oh, yeah. Um, I, I fully expect to see them do this because they're, they're building up such momentum. And nobody's going to be able to catch the them. The thing is they had expectations from the very beginning. They knew what they wanted to do. 
and they went after it. They went after it. I mean, I can remember when SpaceX, just a few years back, four or five years ago, was building their factory and then expanding it, mm -hmm. and we were just watching them and the money and all the challenges. And, that, uh, and then Tesla had troubles and Solar City had troubles, but they all. What was that uh, talk show that that uh, we saw Elon Musk on? Oh, I don't remember. Shoot. We should find the link for that and uh, um, backlink it. And he's and he's you know show footage of the of, you know the rocket going up, hovering and then going back down. Yeah, that he, was the grasshopper test. Yeah, he said, and I quote, that this was an expectation that he had at the very beginning mm -hmm. that we should be able to do exactly this. Elon has said many times that from the outset. Reusable rockets are critical to the success and the re cost reductions necessary to build an industry around space launch. Exactly. So, you know, that was his expectation beginning. He knew what, you know, what he wanted to see, and they and did it. While I've heard these things about ex uh, uh, reusable over expendable, and I've we we hear him talking about him and Gwen talking about expanding into the solar system and, and dominating this marketplace, there's something that I haven't heard from them yet. And yet, when you look at what SpaceX is doing, you realize they are building infrastructure. Yeah. Yes, the Falcon Heavy could deliver a system all the way out to Mars. But do they really have to if they can get it to a particular orbital position? If they can get something to an orbital position that gets built bigger for the trip to Mars, doesn't that make a whole lot more sense? And SpaceX is the only company really trying to build a multi-layered infrastructure that they can mix and match pieces for the specific task of getting either to orbit or to the moon. Well, the only ones that are really looking at reducing the cost. And that's, and that's the other thing. And that's the thing. It's Nobody else cares. They're, it's all business as usual. It's... But it's then you have NASA who can't, you know, make a space launch because they don't have enough money. Hello? <laughs> Reduce your costs, you idiots. Sorry. Yeah, and, and here's the thing. Speaking of expendable stuff, um, the, the thing to remember is, is that Elon is also working on the capsules that carry the people up being yeah. reusable yeah. and the cargo and ships. And it's sexy. That's sexy. Even the Soyuz, which is the sole man-rated craft to take people to the ISS and bring them home, is limited in what it can carry up and down. SpaceX built the Dragon from the beginning to be reusable, to be refurbished, to be sent back up, and thus save the costs of mm -hmm. building a whole new ship. So, and, and, and speaking of reuse, here's something... Uh, for you in the uh, Europe's ATV-5 cargo ship launched on July 29th. It is the um, last ATV-5 at this point. Um, and they've been sending supplies up to the ISS for a couple of years. Now, it was called the Georges George Lamat I'm not sure about the French pronunciation. <laughs> Georges Lamatre, I think, is how that goes. 
uh, Belgian priest and astronomer uh, when 1927 we proposed the big bag. Yeah. So. They sent seven tons of food, experiments, supplies, blah, 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 a lot of stuff on the Ariane 5. So, number of experiments, a lot of stuff. When it's done, they're going to roll it, they're going to burn it to the ground. They're going to send this thing into, into the atmosphere in a, in a week or two, and it's going to burn up in the atmosphere. And all of that money they spent to build that craft and throw it away, you know. Uh, I mean, I, I give... I, you know, I have a problem with that. Well, well, here's the thing. Yeah, I, I do, years, too. You know? I do, too. Could be, like, you know, throwing the baby out with the water. Well, and that's the whole point that Elon Musk keeps talking about. Yeah, you can't do that. So, but, yeah, I, I mean, um, a it's lot of the stuff... a long time, more than nine months. Yeah. But it's, it's, kind, of, it's kind of sad. Um, the first ATV was known as Jules Verne, launched in 2008. Johannes Kepler, number two, launched in February of 2011. Three was the Eduardo Amaldi and lifted off in March of 2012. And the Albert Einstein lifted off in 2013. This is the fifth craft. So, and they've launched all the way back from 2008. These are big units. I was looking at the design of these, and they have some elements in them where they can be configured a boatload of different ways. Hmm. And if they had ever found a way to refuel these things, you could have done a boatload of cool stuff with them. So, interesting stuff, interesting stuff. Virgin Galactic's in the news again. They're in their test protocol program. Virgin Galactic, the Spaceship 2 rocket. You know, landed. we haven't seen anything on Virgin No, we Galactic. haven't. They've We've been quietly making a, a lot of progress. Yeah. Um, Sneaky little man that he is. <laughs> Spaceship Two's fifty-second flight. Yeah. Fifty-two times they've flown already, um, but most of the prior flights have all been attached to White Knight Two, which has been flown one hundred and fifty-six times. So they're in flight testing now. Uh, they had a forty-five-minute flight before landing. And it's expected to go through uh, a series of these glide flights for a while. Um, the article has a, uh, a nice little video there for you to check it out. Um, this is awesome news. Uh, they're making they're making progress. I do know that. Uh, and it uh, made NBC News. Yeah, this was an NBC News page. Wow. Um, so uh, they've got some a couple of great photos there. Check them out. Uh, but yeah. There's a lot going on, and, and the whole point of this particular program is to share just what that's what it is that's happening. Okay, so before we break, um, our last piece uh, from Private Space. Um, we got a lot to do yet. <laughs> okay, we all remember Stephen King. Was it Stephen King did Pet Cemetery? Yes. Okay. I was thinking the same thing. I'm going like, oh, well, there you go. Here we go. You got Orbital Pet Cemetery. Yeah, we talked about that last week, I think. Uh, and, and actually... I'm tell my parents about it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, a Texas company... <laughs> like that picture we saw, the Shih Tzu's and... Oh, sh Shih Tsunami? Yeah, <laughs> Shih Tsunami. <laughs> sci-fi is... Shih Tzu's. There's a new story for, uh, for the Sci-Fi sci Channel, man. I don't know if that came from sci-fi or not, but somebody put I up a picture. I think it's funny. It is funny. Yeah. Um, so, uh, <laughs> but 
to uh, send your pet um, into orbit. <laughs> I think that's what they were doing there. Um, and actually have it come back. In other words, you could send what? your pet's ashes into orbit and have it come back. Have the ashes come back? Have the ashes come back, the whole urn. So what's the point? To send your pet into space. That's the point. So they take the whole thing, they don't they don't throw the ashes out. Correct. That's weird. Okay. Well, you know, I, I mean the whole, I mean, you go to the ocean. Do you, you really have a doubt? Vernon, you know, knowing your parents, do you really have a doubt that they might like to do that? Yeah, they are. And then spread their doggy sorry, space sorry, ashes Mom. over the you, park. They get weird that way. And see, then what you can do is now you can go out to the park with your doggy space ashes and, say, and hey, spread space ashes on the and, earth. And say, my dog's been in space. Yeah. I don't know about yours. He's a galactic pup. Yeah, <laughs> it's going to be a whole new weirdness. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely, definitely, definitely. Um, Bury another one. your pet in space. There you yeah. go. We got two more to go through here, and then we're going to go to break. Um, again, SpaceX uh, is in the news. Uh, we got a couple more stories here. Interesting stuff. Um, for those of you who have been following the legal challenges that they did against um, the government, the Air Force, uh, complaining that they didn't get a chance oh, to proceed. Sorry, two stories in, in the pets in space thing. So. Oh, okay, yeah, there were two links. Just, yeah, so you guys know. Okay. Sorry about that one, you guys. Yeah, there's... We'll see, make sure to try not to run down. This, this quartz place does these ad thingies. Yeah. Auto, auto so, ads. We hate that. Yeah. So we apologize for the auto ad there, guys. But uh, anyway... Uh, they had a legal victory today in this ongoing government contracting thing. Um, they charged the government with violating fair contracting procedures in the lawsuit, even though they weren't qualified to bid on the project at the time. But this is how you get yourself into the bid. Uh, the court didn't grant the, uh, the whole motion, but they did accede to some of the points in... SpaceX legal brief. Now, as to what the details are, I am not sure. Um, but they charged the government with violating the fair contracting procedures in a lawsuit. So, wow. That's huevos. Yeah. Uh, the ULA asked the court to dismiss the lawsuit. And so here's what the victory is. The court denied that motion. So the court's going to hear the lawsuit. So, there you, go. you know, it... it is this one of those things they call a Pyrrhic victory? One that kind of has value, but you're not really sure it doesn't really get you any further? I would call it something else, but... I'll oh, okay. Like right well, now. all right, yeah. I mean, that, that, that thing's up there. Um, and also, the, the last post, for, for those of you that maybe didn't get to it, is uh, an article that reflects the video uh, with... Uh, they have actually put placeholders in the video to show you... Um, at what point in the video things are happening, like the landing legs deploy, the initial deorbit burn, the uh, the landing burn, and then when it tips over and stuff like this. So check that out. The video is actually it's a lot better than the last one. It's a, it's a good bit clearer. You can see what's going on. Even the ice on the camera lens. So some cool stuff. 
And and just to let you know, this is uh, this is the next space. We are a news program, news and commentary about space. Al with Alan Joe. Alan Joe, and we are hosted by Blog Talk Radio's KWAD Radio, our station, a part of WAD Media Services. Um, it's all yeah, up to you, Patty. This newspaper includes a website, so take a look at www.thewad.net. So remember that our phone number is, it's phone number here is 714-242-5145. We dare you to call on and talk to us. Question us. Challenge us. I dare you. So with that, we're going to take a brief break. About a minute and a half, a little more. Uh, let me see here. What do I want to listen for you guys to listen to while we do that? Going <laughs> on. And so with that, we're going to do.
Well, thank you for that station identification as for KWOD Radio, and this is Patty Holstrom. And again, our call-in number is 714-242-5145, 714-242-5145. The information is right above the uh, call information on the station, and the chat information is down below underneath the information about the show. Um, we have, uh, if you go, if you scroll up here, you'll find uh, all the links that we have so far of every, everything that Al has uh, spewed forth for us. <laughs> and we just enjoy that so much. So we are on live again, and we're going into our second half of our show. What do you think about that? Welcome back, everybody. Gave, remember, gave Al a chance to go get a drink. Yeah, I needed to uh, wet my whistle. A um, couple of things as we wrap up today. I wanted to, to add a new little feature um, for the show tonight. We're going to talk just briefly about the last two weeks we've had multiple launches of spacecraft. Uh, first on the list was on July 9th, Russia launched their uh, first Angara rocket after a two-decade-long stop-start development program. Um, hmm. First test launch on, on the 9th, the, uh, they're hoping would be the beginning of a new modular launch vehicle family lifting a range of payloads from light to heavy. So it, it, and the interesting thing was almost all of these launches this past two weeks ended up delayed at some point or another and had to launch at another date. And the Angara had its own. Uh, an aborted launch attempt on June 27th by a loss of pressure in the first stage LOX tank. Um, next up on, what was it? July, oh, the 13th. Uh, Orbital launches their Antares booster with the Cygnus and Orb 2 module named Janus Voss <laughs> uh, carried 1,493 kilograms of crew supplies, hardware, science equipment, and other stuff that went to the space station. Now, this was their, I believe, second launch and their first full cargo launch. Yeah. So, and they have like a Oh, was it was it eight? Their contractors for eight trips to the ISS, whereas SpaceX has a contract for twelve, which is interesting. So definitely different approaches to the different providers. Sure. Um, the um, oops, where am I? Uh oh. Okay, got to get my mouse thingy back. Okay, put you back where I wanted you to be. Here we go. The fifth SpaceX Falcon 9 version 1.1 and 10th Falcon 9 overall launched six Orbcom data relay satellites into low Earth orbit on the 14th of July. Now, uh, the Falcon 9 first stage burned for about two minutes as it climbed and got the insertion altitude. Then it attempted... Uh, then it allowed the first stage. Well, well wait a minute. Okay, I'm mixing up my things here. I've got to lean closer here. Um, 
Then it started its return. The booster came back down, uh, did its uh, return burn. Mm -hmm. Then it started coming down and did its slow down burn. And then it came down and got close to the water and it started its landing burn. And uh, the lights came out. And there's actually, as I mentioned uh, before the break, there's actually NBC has a video up. Yep. Check it out. You can probably check out the SpaceX yeah. website as well, okay. as well as YouTube. Look at their SpaceX channel, and you can see those videos. Media is awesome. Media is awesome. Way too much these days, though, I think. Yeah. But anyway, um, the second successful soft landing in the ocean for SpaceX. Oh, wow. So, and, and I was uh, reading some other articles this week. There is talk of the next one coming down on a hard surface on the ocean. In other words, they're going to put a barge out there to land on. Oh. And if they can land on a barge, which is a moving target, landing on the ground ought to be a piece of cake. That's for sure. So that's, that's going to be that's interesting. All of, you know, plus your body don't move that fast. <laughs> Neither does the earth. July 23rd saw the Russians launch their Soyuz U Progress M24M cargo for the International Space Station. And again, um, uh, just just back, the the uh, uh, the uh, Orbcom was a delayed launch. That took three tries to get that one off the ground. Yeah. They had various different challenges. Uh, the Progress ship went up, I believe, on the first try. Um, and then we had, and we talked before the break, about the uh, European uh, ATV launch, the Ariane um, 5ES orbited uh, the fifth and final automated transfer vehicle on the 29th. Um, and it took a boatload of stuff. So a lot of stuff has been happening. We're starting to see more and more activity that is relative to the manned space programs. So these are some things to keep in mind as we go along. And also, a few weeks ago, we added a section where we talked about opportunities to participate. And I think next week, we're actually going to put these up on, can we do that, put these up on our program front page? There's the, the set of links and stuff. Well, the blog talk page for our show. Yeah, I sure so. Don't you give them to me, Santa? Okay, we will That's try. That's a challenge, right? We there. will. We will have some things up for you next time to take a look. These are opportunities to participate. Um, it's one thing to be a space geek, but if you want to get down and dirty, uh, put on a, a mock spacesuit, get out into a um, a mock Martian settlement location or or research base, um, the Mars Society actually has built two of these. Um, you've got uh, the MDRS Mars Desert Research Station has a sign-up. You can actually go into their season. They'll sign up people to come out, run experiments, get a feel for what it would be like to live on Mars for a week or two. Um, there um, also Mars Initiative, an opportunity for people to apply to Go be part of it. Celestial Suds Brewery, we talked about this. Yeah, we did. Um, they're supposed to release their first uh, in their series of beers referencing the planets. 
And lastly, a new link that we have this week for you, the Boy Scouts. Actually, I didn't know this until this past couple of weeks. The Boy Scouts have a space exploration merit badge program. And I thought that was really interesting. Um, The link goes to an article on the Space Review that talks about how the Boy Scouts and the National Space Society went through a review process this past year to update the merit badge guidebook about the space exploration merit badges. Some interesting reading. Some of these things are pretty challenging, and they really detail what um, some of the the things that they would have to begin dealing with as they grow in learning the STEM issues, facing the STEM challenges to learn the engineering, the mathematics, the science, the technology. Also this week. Get those kids going. Yeah, and that's, that's the thing. So long, space advocacy has focused on sharing with other engineers. The time has long passed for us to actually start getting kids involved with things that they can put their hands on and do something. Um, We did some interesting things over the last couple of years. Uh, I was part of the Phoenix Moon Society for a few years. And as an adjunct to that, we presented a lunar rover challenge at one of these events. We took a couple of uh, RC cars, fitted them with some um, Internet-available gigahertz camera transceivers, hooked the receivers to those up to some monitors, gave the guys the remote controls, but we said you can't watch the car. Right. You've got to drive your car from the view of the car. The view of the camera. So you were given a monitor inside the tent, and you had to actually drive the rover from the tent. Mm -hmm. So you couldn't really see the terrain except what was in front of the camera. Very interesting experience for those who tried it. Um, We also went out and did a thing at uh, Mesa Second second Friday here in the valley. I actually did this a couple times. We took our rovers out. We took... uh, then took out our stomp rockets. Yeah, stomp rockets. And we were launching paper rockets up into the air. And well, I tell you what, the trees, but mostly into the trees. But I tell you what, some of these little girls, man, they can stomp the crap out of stuff. I tell you what, they were the, they were our tallest launchers. They could stomp on a stomp rocket launcher better than the guys. <laughs> and I wonder if that's you don't suppose there's some. Uh, personal frustration building up in those little ladies, do you? Of course. <laughs> so, um, Or their little brothers. And I have I have new projects in the works to share as as we get going. We have uh, we recently inaugurated just this last spring the Black Scorpion Trebuchet. <laughs> For those of you who don't know what a or are not familiar with the term trebuchet, um, think pumpkin chunker. This thing has a 16-foot-long arm. It stands uh, it's, almost it's 12 feet tall. It's sexier than a catapult. Oh, it's definitely sexier than a catapult. Um, but we have actually started construction on a prototype baby scorpion little trebuchet. Which, you know, It'll have a 4-foot arm, stand about 3 feet tall. absolutely hate scorpions, anybody who knows me. Hate scorpions. 
<laughs> I was Stomp Rockets just to think about stomping on scorpions, okay? The Wad.net has it. some videos of the of yeah, uh, right on the, front page the black right scorpion on. launching. Well, so it wasn't black yet. It was, it was just the Wad then. It was still the, the, the Wad painted yeah, scorpion. It, painted. Painted it wasn't yet. painted yet. It was still wood. Right, so you guys will see it before it became the black scorpion. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Some cool stuff. Cool stuff. We got a lot of new projects coming up this year. We're going to be working on. We'll be sharing those with you, our audience, as we go forward. And the focus again is is participation. It's not enough for us to share all the history. It's not enough for us to share the photos. It's not enough for us to talk with other engineers about getting to the moon and to Mars and to Titan or Europa or yeah. all of these other places. Yeah. We've got to start doing things to prepare the people for getting there because here's the reality here's the real rub I don't care how many engineers you put together I don't care how many who want to go the people who actually do the settlement who handle the infrastructure who handle the hard work of making sure that the air supply the water supply all that stuff works are not necessarily going to be engineers We've already seen with the shuttle astronaut program to the ISS where a lot of the mission specialists who were in charge of, of not only experiments but were in charge of some of the other things weren't engineers. And, and what are you doing here? Um, I had to grab this crap thing. We have the uh, uh, diversifying of the skill sets is already beginning to happen just within the NASA program and the ESA program and the Russian program and also eventually very soon in the Chinese program. The, the, these things need to recognize that as we go forward with space things are going to change and they're going to start changing rapidly especially with the upcoming private space programs that are already in motion. Yeah. Um, if Almaz can, can develop their portion and get that lunar cycler going, if Bigelow can get his person, portion going and get his space station. It's going to be crazy. The orbital, I mean, just, I mean, consider this, an orbital Bigelow station around the Earth, another one that gets launched up to attach to the Russian system to give them a living habitat. Oh, my God. Be like what we expected to happen all these years. Yeah. It actually happen. There could actually be a, a, actually a space be. railroad to, to get know. to the moon. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. And Bigelow's talking about dropping some of his modules right onto the surface of the moon as a habitat. Yeah. So, so why but, one, but here's the thing. For our commentary tonight, I wanted to talk about um, what I think is is really misdirection. We, we've been hearing a lot about the many programs that are out there. You've got Mars One that wants to put engineers on the surface of Mars. We've got Mars Inspiration, which wants to send a couple uh, for a flyby. To Mars and back. That's a um, we have uh, Golden Spike wants to send tourist trips to the moon and back, actually land on the moon. 
And we also have Space Adventures, which already has um, a lot of the negotiating done to be able to send people around the moon and back. Um, we have Virgin Galactic, which is in the final testing phase of their craft to send tourists up to low to 62 miles high suborbit the edge of space. Uh, X Core Aerospace, same type of thing, suborbital tourism. Bigelow Aerospace has nearly completed or has completed their first module, BA330, for living in space in an orbit. It is a module capable of supporting six people. Um, wow, really extremely cool. These are all components that come into play to begin the push to put people in space, on the moon, on Mars, and further out to Callisto and Ganymede at Jupiter, and even Titan at Saturn. I won't happen in my lifetime, though. Well, now, see, that depends, and it depends on the approach. And how long will they? <laughs> well, and, and this, is, this is what our commentary is, is about, because uh, this week in U.S. News and uh, Report, actually U.S., what is it? It's, it's U.S., what is it now? It's in U.S. News. It's U.S. News and World Report. Yes, I thought there was more to that title. Yeah, because they're all completely online now. Right. Now, I remember this, this magazine from years ago. Oh, yeah. I used to follow them for a lot of years. A lot of, inf lot of cool information. Um, Robert Zubrin provided an article to U.S. News and World Report, July 21st, and he talks about going to the Mars, not the moon. Now, in reading the article, he makes some very good points, very valid points, good reasoning. And he talks about the budget, makes sense. But here's the problem I have with it. The engineering approach is an approach to explore, to explore for science. And exploration, don't put everyday humans on Mars. They don't put everyday humans on the moon to live for long periods of time. And, and, I, and I'm not just saying long periods of time. I'm saying permanently. And this is the fallacy of the engineering approach to exploration. It works. It functions. It delivers on knowledge. It delivers science. But does it deliver a habitat where we can begin to emigrate in the next 5, 10, even 15 years? No, it doesn't. And why not? Because it's about science, not about living. Well, they got to change their mindset. <laughs> Absolutely. Here are some, yeah. here's some anecdotal information. Okay, you ready for this? Anecdotal when we look at history and we look at how new frontiers were opened in the 1400s the Europeans didn't even know this continent was here and so they sent a few guys out one of which was Columbus 
And he bumped into us on the way to China. <laughs> what the heck is this thing? <laughs> it's China. It's it's the East Indies. Not. Not. Um, the second second. Well, I wonder what his first. Another was. important point here was they expected to find gold, silver, spices, and silk. Yeah. What they ended up getting was wool, tobacco, corn, potatoes. Things they didn't have before. Well, things they did have, but things that they could get from the Americas much cheaper because it was built with slave labor. But see, here's the point. The only way that they could start creating exports was if the people who came to America came to stay and live. Right. A one-way trip. This was important for that to work because you had to have people living on the continent to build the farms, to grow the food, to to pack it up and ship it back to England Mm -hmm. or Spain. Now, the same was true when it came to dumping England's um, prisoners, their crooks and criminals, lots of stuff, out on the coast of Australia. They had the same challenge. It wasn't enough to set up a base with a team to manage it and oversee it. And this was important because it correlates with what happened in the American West in the mid-1800s. When they had that big land grab, they knew you've got to get people out there. You've got to have settlers out there to claim the land, to improve the land, to produce upon the land, before you're going to get any kind of development of cities and towns. Um, Even the railroad. While the railroad facilitated a lot among the, the West the first thing that the railroad did and its primary purpose was to connect the two coastlines. That was its first purpose. They didn't really care about what was in between. No, they didn't. The whole idea was that they wanted to get everything from San Francisco to the other part of the Exactly. They wanted to create this, this link. But even when the link was established, they had to set up infrastructure, which meant... You had to have water. You Well, once it's running, you had to have water. You had to have fuel in the form of some form of wood or something to burn in those steam engines. Right. That meant you had to have infrastructure. Right. If you're going to have infrastructure, you got to have people. You have to have a labor force that can be adaptive to address all of the strange and weird and fun issues you're going to face when trying to mine for water, mm-hmm. grow food, and recycle air, as well as mine for air and oxygen. And that doesn't even include trying to get all of the other minerals and other products that might be viable as export. When we talk about going to the moon or to Mars, either one, 
a lot of the times I hear people in or I read in their articles and essays, they talk about both the moon and Mars generating exports that would be sent back to Earth. And I really have a problem with this whole scenario. Um, when the they're American trying to survive, not right, they're not going to be sending stuff back, you know. And so the reality is, is that in the same vein that Elon Musk realized that for a launch service you had to have a reusable booster. You have to have a reusable capsule. You have to have reusable components that are truly reusable. You quickly refurbish them and within a few days you get back online with another launch. All the other companies out there are still doing business as usual. Send it up one shot, throw it away when you're done. And this is costing nearly hundreds of billion, million, hundreds of millions of dollars for every single launch, and that is just not sustainable. The framework that's been placed for a human presence on the moon, much less Mars, is the idea that it would be supplied from Earth multiple times. Each one of those trips would be a separate multi-million dollar trip. And in point of fact, would likely be hundreds of millions of dollars. And billions to get a supply ship to Mars. The reality is that you can't do it that way. It is unsustainable. The current price estimate just to launch one ship to Mars with everything they'll need to start is $5 billion at the lowest estimate today. There is no way we are going to send a $5 billion ship every six months to keep that Mars colony supplied. Not going to happen. Not even. Not to mention the fact of the issues that if you're trying to supply Mars, there are points at which it's, it takes longer to get there than if you just waited for it to come around again. There are very specific windows that you can launch to Mars and your supplies get there in a reasonable amount of time. And those are called Mars Oppositions. Now, they're not all as close as the one coming up in 20, I think it's 18. But they're all at a point where Mars is at least on the same side of the sun as we are. And so that makes it a optimal, optimal point of, of launch time. So, and typically those, those transits run anywhere from six to nine months to get to Mars. But this is the difference. This is one of the things that I have been working to develop some things, uh, to show my projects to the kids, to show people that there are things we can do. And, you know, 
uh, I'm gonna pick on somebody here. Um, I love the work that the the guys down at at um, I think it's U of A or is it ASU on the SEAC pro project. Uh, for those that you uh, who may not be familiar with the SEAC project, it's basically a hydroponic um, high-tech hydroponic system to grow food and they actually run the farm that's located in an in Antar McMurdo Antarctic Station and they actually produce food for those folks and they do a pretty good job of it as I understand but here's here's the bite that comes out of that hydroponics is a high-tech highly instrumented highly mechanized process for growing and feeding plants in a very specific labor-intensive labor required monitoring and control of the entire hydroponic system you must deliver nutrient fresh nutrient solution every so so many months so that they have it to run through that hydroponic system. You have to make sure they have fresh water. You've got to do something with the leftover nutrients that they can't use anymore. So now you've got waste and a lot of it. Now at this point enter aquaponics, permaculture. Aquaponics doesn't add nutrients or chemicals and doesn't have nearly as much waste. Many of you out there may already be familiar with aquaponics. Um, in its simplest form, take a, uh, a regular plant farm, a little garden, and add a fish farm to it. You take a pool, put in a bunch of fish, and then you pipe the water from the fish over to the plants. Now what happens is, is that the interesting thing is, is that the fish do their thing in the water and they leave all sorts of stuff um, that gets turned into fertilizer that is run through that water out to the plants. But not to be outdone and not to be forgotten, Nature has done some incredibly cool stuff with the plant side. It seems that the plants really like this water coming down from the fish. It has a combination of nutrients that the plants just don't seem to get enough of. Most aquaponics facilities are growing two to three times the yield of a typical traditional dirt farm. So, but here's something as a comparison to a hydroponics. Hydroponics, you must pay to get specialized chemicals to create the nutrient bath that feeds your water, that feeds your plants. And then you have to have a place to dispose of the excess water that has the buildup of chemicals and so forth that didn't get processed by the plants. In aquaponics, you don't have any of that. There, there, there is very little waste. And in point of fact, um, 
if you grow your aquaponic system to include different things, we begin to see the pattern of what I call a biome, uh, uh, almost a, a biological life seed. You take your fish farm, you attach it to a plant farm. You then get a few chickens, and you get them to do their dookie thing into the fish pond. That adds additional nutrients. But here's the thing that the, the chickens add to your whole thing. When you take food out of your plant garden and you have leftover waste, you feed that leftover waste to the chickens. So the chickens now add to your farm, your biome as it were, and you create a situation that uses all of your waste. Nothing gets tossed. There is nothing, no, no pollution. There is nothing to have to keep, that you have to keep a reservoir of and dispose of. Everything is used. And here's the next thing with the plants. These plants are generating oxygen during their night cycle. And that is important because then that feeds the humans. So, and these things have direct correlations to what we find in history. When the early settlers came over from Europe to the Americas, they had to bring seeds with them to plant. They knew they were going to plant crops just to survive. It, sure, it's a hell of a lot different than going to the moon or to Mars or Titan or Ganymede or Callisto, where you don't have the same environment. You don't even have the same temperatures. You don't even have real dirt. On the moon, it's not even dirt. It's this regolith, which is like, it's like, take sand and put hooks on it. It's just deadly stuff. You can't so breathe gotta, this you in. Gotta take your own, you got to take your own dirt. So, well, actually, you, you, don't, you don't need to take your own dirt. A farm makes dirt. Did you know that? You didn't know that, did you? The farms I, farmers I knew didn't make dirt. Because <laughs> you didn't see it. You know what a compost pile is? Yes, I know a compost pile. A compost pile is a dirt farm. Yeah. In its simplest form, it's a dirt farm. Okay. You throw all your kitchen waste out there. I was talking about the whole uh, uh, worm thing. Oh, well, we're getting to that. A good farmer knows that you have to put worms in your compost pile yeah. because the worms get in there and they eat the chunky stuff down so that it decays so that the bacteria can break it down further and break it down into the dirt stuff. Which it needs all that stuff. Which it needs all of that stuff. So what we're seeing here is that the biodiversity of a biome designed from the get-go to take advantage of existing relationships instead of the, the tried-and-true engineering approach, which is to improve upon nature and try and make things that have to be go through integration testing. They have to go through design testing. They have to go through metallurgical analysis. They have to go through plastics analysis. They have to go through, you know, all of the design things. When in reality, when the settlers came to America in the 1600s, when the Europeans sent 
people over to Australia. And when the American settlers went west, they took the minimum with them. Now, our minimum for a space settlement is different. But by using the same techniques, we can build a biological seed, a biome seed. We start small, not like they tried to do with biosphere. Biosphere was a great experiment. We learned a lot from it. But we also learned that we have to be careful when applying technology. It was the application of technology that ultimately corrupted the entire process. That concrete, that technological marvel ended up being the bane of the entire project. So food for thought, folks. When when we expanded from Europe, we did so in small steps. You don't send a thousand people at once. No. You send enough people to get a foothold. Baby steps. Baby steps. But by the same token, it was a one-way trip every single time. Thanks for joining us, folks. If you have further questions, let us know. Leave us a message at the show. Send us a note. Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. We know you people are there. You know, yeah. Lurkers. Lurkers. I know. Just sitting there, just listening. <laughs> don't think we don't know. We know where you are. <laughs> there are precedents for the things that we've talked about tonight. We've shared with you a lot of the tech that's really being developed to get us there. Our hope here at the new space, the next space, is that new space will get us there. And yeah, we look forward to it. New space will get us to the next space. That's See you next week, folks. Get some right now. <laughs> this is Radio. And well, just so that way you guys know, last week we had the uh, Hey Girl show last Wednesday. Uh, go back to previous shows and take a listen. Uh, we had a great show last Wednesday. And, of course, you know, go back to the uh, previous um, archive. We're always in archive mode. Uh, this show will be in archive mode about an hour after we end here. You can go back and listen to, if you missed some of it, you can go back to and listen to it its entirety. We welcome that. And then, of course, share. Share the news, guys. You know, uh, send the links to others to find out more about what's going on in in the space news and uh, about the crazy things that we talk about here on the Next Space with Alan Joe. And until the next time, which we hope the next Sunday, <laughs> at the same time, say bad channel. This is KWAD Radio, and this is Patty Holtz, signing out. <laughs>